Romans chapter 7, verse 15. You know, I've been a little dominated by the book of Romans for the last few months. I told Brother Calvin, this is my third time to coach over the book of Romans. I, I think I'm somewhat of an expert. I'm just kidding. But I, I have heard it hundreds of times in various versions over my quiz coaching career. Romans 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. It's quite an opening statement, isn't it? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, and this is going to be a recurring thought, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, like humanity. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want. The evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, not just a tendency, not just a possibility, but this is a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inward being, but I see in my members, my humanity, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, wretched. Man that I am, exclamation. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. I want to help this very important passage to New Testament believers have a greater sense of application tonight. So if you'll allow me to share a story from American history and a story from my history, hopefully we'll, we'll get exactly what he's saying. All that I would and I don't and I don't and I would. And it's, you ought to try to memorize that in uh, Shakespearean English. Good grief. But it's so important that we understand what this wonderful, transparent passage says. That if the guy who wrote over half the New Testament says, this is a tough deal, it's a relentless challenge, then you and I were in that same situation. So consider with me, if you will, this thought, unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender, you may be seated. From American history, I want to share a summary and then we'll come back to it in a few moments. It is the Battle of Fort Donelson. It was fought from February 11 to 16, 1862, in the Western Theater of the American Civil War. The Union capture of the Confederate Ford near the Tennessee-Kentucky border opened the Cumberland River, an important avenue for the invasion in the South, and the Union's success also elevated Brigadier General Ulysses S. Grant from an obscure and largely unproven leader to the rank of Major General and earned him the nickname of Unconditional Surrender Grant. The battle followed the Union capture of Fort Henry on February 6th, and Grant moved his army 12 miles overland to Fort Donelson on February 12th and 13th, conducted several small probing attacks, and on February 14th, 
Union gunboats attempted to reduce the fort with gunfire, but were forced to withdraw after sustaining heavy damage from the fort's water batteries. On February 15, with the fort surrounded, the Confederates, commanded by Brigadier General John B. Floyd, launched a surprise attack against Grant's army in an attempt to open an escape route to Nashville. Grant, who was away from the battlefield at the start of the attack, arrived in time to rally his men and counterattack. So on the morning of February 16, Buckner sent and wrote a note to Grant requesting a truce and asking for terms of surrender. It was the protocol at this time that an army in defeat could then somewhat negotiate, like, what do we have to do? What do we not have to do? What do we have to give up? What can we retain? What's going to look like on the other side of combat? To Buckner's dismay, Grant showed no mercy, and he briskly replied in a way that became one of the most famous quotes of the war and earned him the nickname of Unconditional Surrender Grant. Let me read to you his response to the request for terms. Sir, yours of this date, proposing armistice, an appointment of commissioners to settle terms of capitulation is just received. No terms except unconditional and immediate surrender can be accepted. I propose to move immediately upon your works. I am, sir, very respectively, your obedient servant, Ulysses S. Grant, Brigadier General. Now, that closing is pretty amazing in the context of what he just said. We have nothing to talk about. If you want to talk about it, it's going to go really, really bad really fast. I will obliterate you and everybody that's associated with you very respectfully. Your obedient servant, he who is the wrath of the Almighty against you anyway. My life changed about a year and a half ago. I was waiting for a heart catheterization test because I had had a heart echocardiogram that was not a good one. The results indicated my heart was very, very weak. It was functioning at about 20% of the needed strength. And the question was why? Were there blockages? Was there some situation that uh, needed to be corrected in some way with stents or surgery? And so. In this test, you know, they shoot dye through your veins and it shows blood flow and what have you. And now, I thank the Lord that no blockages were found. And so no surgery or procedure would uh, be necessary. But they did say, well, Norman, you have what we call cardiomyopathy, a weak heart. It doesn't work well. And as a result of that weakness, I had been in congestive heart failure for months and did not realize it. I knew something was going on. I was out of breath all the time. I was gaining weight. I, I just had no strength, no energy. I thought I was getting adult onset asthma, which just proves how stupid men are in self-diagnosis. We're going to revisit that in a few moments in a very practical sense here tonight. I want to help somebody and maybe save your life, dear God. So the heart wasn't working well, and what was the cause? And I pressed him, and since there wasn't something they could say, well, here's the deal, here's the blockage or whatever. He said, well, Norman, you have what we call broken heart syndrome. I had heard the term before, because that's what they said my dad had after my mom died. That in times of great grief or stress or loss, the bottom half of your heart works much harder. 
It's an autonomic thing. You, you can't control it. You don't really know it. And eventually, with time, it lifts, and no permanent damage is gone. But my reality was it had gone on for about four years because things had taken a very serious turn. My reality had seen intense struggle, uh, fighting for our church. It was under attack to lose its doctrinal and spiritual integrity. My family was thrown into a holocaust. And I remember wondering at the time, as I spent weeks and months with not any sleep or what have you, is this affecting my health? Well, four years later, I yeah, it was. At age 57, my heart was worn out. And yet, I want to tell you today, in the last year and a half, I've made great recovery, great strides back. My family is being restored, and the Calvary Church is thriving, bigger, stronger than it's ever been, because God is faithful. Amen. But for the last year and a half, it's been a very different world. Now, a new evil S-word showed up, sodium. Oh, God. Partnering with sugar to be my arch nemesis. Ladies and gentlemen, let me state the obvious. Sodium and sugar are the absolute backbone of the American diet. If it's not in its natural state of fruit or fresh meat or whatever, the reason you like it is either sugar or sodium. So now I go into a restaurant and I ask if they have any flavored styrofoam or, you know, (laughs) something like that. The, the, The menu just really shrank, you know. Thank you for your compassion. I appreciate that. And they they put me under all these restrictions to consistently limit my sodium intake as well as a very judicious, judicious monitoring of my sugar, things that I didn't do. Let me just say, if, if they say you're a borderline diabetic, there is no such thing. You are a diabetic, and you need to fix it. Okay, th- this is going to be a recurring theme here for the next few moments. I've got to help somebody here tonight, get some hemp up in here. Can somebody help me right now? I'm feeling kind of abandoned. I had to limit my liquid intake to 66 ounces. That's ridiculous. You know, I used to knock off a two-liter at a meal. You know, I was a guy, we'd go in the restaurant, and they'd bring, you know, drinks, and they were feeling, and I'd tell, hey, 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 let's save a lot of time and energy. Bring me a pitcher, I'll put a straw in it, and, you know, you won't have to come back 18 times. Not anymore. Every day, every bite, every snack, every meal affects my heart. And if I ignore it, in one meal, I can throw myself into a serious health crisis. I'm living with a terminal illness. And if I'm careless or stubborn, stupid or selfish, if I go into some kind of feeding frenzy, there's going to be consequences. So I'm, I'm held hostage to this physical condition. My body and its brokenness has taken over and the potential danger to kills me is very real. It's, I live like it's a hostage situation. So every day must be lived with my health dictating choices that will either serve me or see me as their servant. So let me just say this one more time. If you're here tonight and you've got some kind of 
something going on, some symptoms, some issues. Get it taken care of. Go to the doctor. Here, here's where it gets real quiet. <laughs> you know, if, if you think it's great that you have snore, snoring of Olympic proportions, snoring is not a good thing. It means you can't breathe when you're sleeping. And not breathing is not healthy. I, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going to go out on a limb <laughs> and say that. If, you know, four steps sees you out of breath, we have a problem here. And most men, in their profound stupidity, will say, oh, it's going to be, it, it'll get better. It will not get better. It will get worse. And your wife is frantic. And your kids are worried. How do I know? That's what I lived with. I, I didn't want to admit it. You know, a year and a half ago, they wanted to put in a pacemaker and a defibrillator. Go, Wait a minute. Pacemaker? I'm not a geezer. Are you kidding me? Well, last November, I got my little deal here. I got my battery going. I'm up to 2.3 volts, and I'm feeling pretty spunky here tonight. <laughs> but man, life has uh, just been really turned upside down. So, I'm telling you, if there's something wrong, find out, submit to recovery, and live a healthy life in Jesus' name. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. Amen. I, I have to admit, I get weary in well-doing. I really do. I get tired of this mess. Couldn't there just be a pizza day without consequences? You know, where I go into Pizza Hut and they ask me to leave? You know? Used to, you know, it used to be the buffet 11 to 2. And about 2.30, they're going, hey, Norm, we're wrapping up, you know. Cheapskates. How about a Twinkie-a-thon? You know, you stack them like cords of wood and just get you a gallon of milk and eat yourself into a sugar coma. Praise God. That sounds so good. Or some kind of carb carnival. And the answer is no. There's no break to be had. And I don't tell you all this mess to gain pity or whatever, but I want you to gain some perspective because... Every one of us in this room has a chronic condition. Everyone under the sound of my voice uh, has a situation that if you ignore it can set off a series of consequences that can be devastating and lead to eternal death. I'm not going to judge you tonight. I don't know you. But I can assess the reality for all of us here tonight. We are all sinners we are all sinners. It is the human condition for everybody. It's time to acknowledge that. It's time to make choices accordingly. It's time to have a worldview that understands who we are. We're all sinners. We're all infected. We all have a condition. We're all weak. It's woven into our DNA. It cannot be surgically removed. There's, there's nothing to do to repair it or fix it. It's who we are. All of us are sinners. Put your hand over your heart and say, I'm a sinner. That is our reality. We can't live a day without the knowledge that sin is present with us. No matter how long we've been in the church or 
what level of spiritual involvement or activity or maturity we have gained will still be sinners every day till Jesus come. That's why when you want to do good, your default, your response, your initial reflex is to sin, to be found in chaotic circumstances with potentially disastrous results. In the reality of sin that is a part of all of us all the time, there is no forum. Hear me now. There's no situation that you don't factor that in to where you go and what you do and how you think and how you react. Amen. That's why Peter, with the keys to the kingdom, made a call, a very important call. He said, be sober and be vigilant. Be serious, be unrelenting, because there is a predator, a roaring lion, waiting to strike, to spring out of nowhere, to ravage our lives and ruin our eternity. Cain, the first man born on the earth, was warned by God himself. Cain's sin is crouching at the door. It's a picture of an ambush. It's a picture of someone waiting for their opportunity to come out and to wreak havoc. And he was looking for a moment to see you make a choice that would destroy you and the people you are connected to. And Cain ignored it. I don't know if he thought it wasn't real, if he thought he was past that, if he thought I'll never do that. But one day he did rise up and slew his brother and would spend the rest of his days as a wonder, and the world would never be the same with a 25% murder rate. This sin deal, it's 24-7, 365. It requires 24-7, 365 determination to defeat and to prevail. And Paul uses a very disturbing word picture, that exclamation that we read. I, I didn't understand it. Let me... Give you some historical context on it. Oh, wretched man that I am. You know, just so conflicted, so miserable, so tired of, of the struggle. Just weary with every day I have to fight this fight. Yes, every day we have to fight this fight because it is who we are. But thanks be to God who can make us someone that we are not. Come on, somebody. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. We're not doomed here tonight, but I'm telling you, it's a fight till the trumpet. And some of us think we can just coast into glory. Not going to happen. You're going to make it because you fight your way through the pearly gates. Amen, amen. Who can deliver me from the body of this death? Now consider this. I, I can't even get my head around it, really. Despots, tyrants of this day when they conquered an enemy, would take prisoners, those that they had captured, and they would affix to their body a dead body. They would chain a cadaver to a living person. That person would then have their existence with this reality all the time. A dead man strapped to a living man. Till finally the contagion, the the putrid mass of a dying body, a decaying body, would eventually kill the living. Wow. So that's our reality. This fight is constant. This fight is connected. This fight is consuming. This fight is corruptive. 
But I'm telling you, there is hope. Everybody say, there's hope. Amen. I pray today that we can hear what the Spirit is saying. That it's time to start living like you have a serious condition. Some of us have been out of the world so long, we don't think that we could ever go back. I'm telling you, this will never go away. And I speak humbly and as a, as a man in process, I, I'm trying to become a new man. I, I don't eat as much. I don't eat as often. I, I test my blood sugar. I never did that. I've been a diabetic for 30 years and I never tested my sugar. That's suicidal. It's wrong. It's weak. And I got over it. I read labels. It's a horrible thing, man. I'm looking for two lines, carbs and sodium. And I don't find very encouraging results. I keep count of how much I've had by way. It's about eight glasses of whatever a day. And, and I even weigh myself. <laughs> That's something I hadn't done in decades. Because there was never any good news on that stupid dial. It's still broke. It never tells the truth. Amen. And just let me say, as we are approaching another holiday weekend... Probably one of the most dangerous things on earth is a hot dog. Oh, my God. They're like sodium sticks. That's why you like them. Because, number one, nobody knows what's in a hot dog. Nobody wants to know what's in a hot dog. But most of it is salt. Mmm, that's good. Run for your lives. Eat the wrapper before you eat the dog. So, hey, you all enjoy your picnics this weekend (laughs) in the next couple of weeks. And when you start whooping them dogs, you think of old Brother Pasley who's looking for a strawberry or a a blueberry or something like that, you know. So where did I end up? Well, I'm submitted to recovery. I am submitted to recovery. That's the reality. God has put great resources in my life. Wonderful doctors, incredible team there at the Cardiac Care Center in Cincinnati. Put me on crazy medicine. Lots of them. I don't like it. Makes me mad every night. Give my little bag out. I look like a Walgreens kiosk or something, you know. <laughs> Sorting all that mess out, dear Lord of heaven and earth. And do we have to count today? Oh, yes, we do. Do we have to stick our fingers several times today? Oh, absolutely. And how much, how many glasses is this? Well, I better not, just in case. Well, you act like you're scared. I'm scared to death, no pun intended. Some of us dancing around with sin, flirting with things that are corruptive, thinking it's no big deal. Let me tell you, anything that is against the word of God And the call to righteousness and godliness is a big deal. And can cost you more than you could have ever imagined. God help us to wake up. To heed the warnings. To change our lives. To make decisions necessary. To defeat and defy these elements. Because sin is present with us. But we can overcome it. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So what's it mean? Being faithful to the house of God. It's non-negotiable. What's it mean? Being refilled in the Holy Ghost. Don't wait for the low fuel light to come on. You'll be renewed in the Holy Ghost every day. 
Hallelujah. It's all about the DNA, you know. Our family history. The mother and father of us all were the first to fail. Way to go, Adam and Eve. Unbelievable. Just, it's just so tragic. God bless Eve. I don't blame Eve. I blame Adam. Because God told Adam, and apparently he hadn't communicated to Eve. So, Adam, what were you doing? Well, we know he wasn't standing around with his hands in his pockets. You know, we, we know that. Men do that a lot, you know. So what was he doing? I don't know. But it wasn't enough. Okay, get that image out of your mind. I'm trying to preach a little bit here. You know, here's what I've realized in, in my world now that revolves around medicine and all this business. The most important thing you can do for your health is choose your family. Now, while some of you are trying to process, let me tell you, you cannot choose your family. But you can be aware. You can realize the risk. It's that way on the human side and on the spiritual side. On the human side, maybe it's in your DNA somewhere. Heart trouble, diabetes, other issues that may show up. So if you know that, if it's in here waiting to uh, come out and, and dominate, be alert to that. Be proactive about that. So, you know, that has a lot of diversity to it. But the reality for all of us is every man and woman that ever walked on this planet were sinners. And so that is who we are. Paul declares this reality that sin is indigenous to the human condition. It's just woven into our DNA. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are not doomed to defeat. I say again, we are not doomed to defeat. Jesus told Nicodemus some amazing things, and Nicodemus could not get his head around it. He was just, what are you talking about? See, here's the deal. Yeah, we've been born. It's just who we are. It's the way it is. So it means so much when Jesus said, Nicodemus, you can be born again. You can overcome this fallen reality. You can overcome this propensity to sin. Let me tell you, I, I, I just feel an unction in the Holy Ghost. Some of you are afraid that whatever your family has been, that's going to be your story eventually. And I'm here to tell you, the Holy Ghost can overcome it. You are not doomed to generations of failure. Just because everyone in your family is divorced doesn't mean you have to be divorced. Come on, somebody. Just because everybody in your family has left the church doesn't mean you have to leave the church because nobody's been a good parent up till now doesn't mean you don't have to be. I'm telling you, we are new creatures in Christ. Amen. It's not just a, 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 new, a fresh start. It's a new start through the power of the Holy Ghost. What an image, born again. It's no quick fix. Birth is a beginning. It's a process, and so God help us. God help us to embrace this reality. I, I honor faithful saints who are here today. You've been in this church. You were here the last time I spoke. You're going to be here till Jesus comes, and God bless you. 
But don't ever think that there's an autopilot to get into heaven. Don't ever think, well, you know, we can take the foot off the pedal a little bit and don't have to be there as much or give as much or volunteer as much. No, this is a day when nothing less than our best is acceptable in this idea of I must be saved. Amen. Amen. It was Grand's first notable victory. I have somewhat of an affinity for Grant. He was born about 30 miles east of Cincinnati on the banks of the mighty Ohio. Very, very humble beginnings. And this brought him to a defining moment in his leadership. Here's something the old guy understood. Total defeat, excuse me, total victory is realized when the enemy acknowledges total defeat. And that's the only way it really works. So, can I say to you tonight, and if I offend you, that's okay. I'm going to leave in a few minutes. You know, I'll leave pastor to pick up the pieces. Let me just say, some of you keep trying to negotiate this salvation thing. You keep asking God for terms. You know, God, do I really have to give up that? Is this really a big deal? Could I, could I hold on to that? You know, I think pastor's just a little out of bounds. He's got all this stuff where he's trying to keep us safe. He preaches these things that try to protect us from the evil that is everywhere and so pervasive. I think I could negotiate a deal on my own. Let me say, I think it's really time to drop the narrative that says, well, I'm good most of the time. The majority of my choices are uh, really good. You know, they get a passing grade in the context of eternity. Important revelation here tonight. God does not prorate salvation. Being saved is not like an election where you need one more vote to win. 51% is not going to carry the day, precious ones. Amen. In the battle for my soul, I've come to God. And and I understand that, number one, Calvary works. Jesus paid it all. There was no condition. There was no sin. There was no perversion. There was no addiction that Calvary did not defeat. So don't feel like, well, you know, it's a great church and whatever, but there's just some limits. The only limits to the power of the gospel are the ones that I won't submit to. This message works. Hallelujah. It saves to the uttermost. You know, we, we come together. Only the cross could bring all this pe- these people together. You know, we all still on, stand on common ground at the foot of the cross. And I tell you, I, I know some of the stories of the church in Cincinnati, and it scares me. It's troubling. Some of my finest people, all I can say is thank God for the statute of limitations. Because, buddy, it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Come on, somebody. You know, so it's not important what you were. What's important is what are you becoming? Amen. Amen. What are you allowing God to do? What have you given the Lord complete surrender? I tell you, 
the way you will find total victory is when you have unconditional surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his call. If our musicians would come, I, I just want to wrap this up. Pastor indicated that we'll have an altar time, and I'm glad for that. I felt that in preparing for our time together. Oh, the new birth. It's, it's fantastic. This repent thing. You know, we, we have kind of uh, muddied our terms a little bit where we think repentance is, you know, uh, a good touch of the Lord, four Kleenexes, and I think I, I want to get baptized. You know, repentance is an ongoing process. Repentance is turning your life around. It's 180 degrees. Nobody that's ever walked on this planet has made it completely. Nobody. We're, we don't live in a constant state of regret, but we live in a constant state of, I've got to work at this. I've got to defeat this fresh every day. Probably the best visual I ever heard was uh, our missionaries, the Willoughby's in Singapore. I was over there visiting with them and their son. They had lived there so long, their son had to serve in the military. And he said, Brother Pasley, when we are in drill, they don't say about face. They say repent. Isn't that cool? Just to turn around and go the other way. That's repentance. If you haven't repented, we're going to open this altar and give you a chance to do that. And the wonder of water baptism and the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Repentance leads to baptism in Jesus' name for the remission, the total forgiveness of all your sins. Remission is a very important word. Luke, who was a physician, is the only one to use the term. And it actually has a, a medical context to it. That sin is a disease and the name of Jesus is the cure. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name or you know someone that hasn't, get them here. We have water. Nothing will hinder them from being baptized and getting that sin deal washed away. And then the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the longer I think about it, the more it blows my mind that you can speak a language that you don't know how to speak because the Spirit of God has taken residence in you and it gives you the utterance, the ability to speak a language you don't know. That's incredible. What does that mean? That means somebody has unconditionally surrendered to the power of God and the move of God in their life. Would you stand with me tonight? God bless you. I, I honor you. You know, folks that come on Wednesday are good people. They serve God as a lifestyle, not just a weekend aberration. So I, I sure wouldn't want to have a tone of negativity or beating you up or whatever, but I know there have been areas in my life that I've just had to say, you know what, God, I, I, I got to get this deal settled. This is ridiculous. All these years, I was so blessed to grow up in an apostolic home and got the Holy Ghost when I was six. That was a long time ago. But I still have things that I'm surrendering. I still realize, man, I've been negotiating for terms.
I'm going to stop. I'm just going to say, Jesus, all of me, all of me, Lord. You'll find such victory. You'll find such freedom. You'll find such strength. You'll get the devil off your back. Amen. You'll live in the power of the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So as they sing, will you come? Will you come to the Lord with unconditional surrender? Would you make this a significant time tonight on just a a Wednesday in June and just say, Lord, I really need you to help me to really let go of some things. Open my heart, open my spirit. Acknowledge the ongoing struggle that doesn't have to be. But I've just got to surrender, Lord. I, I admit, I acknowledge my sinfulness. I acknowledge my fallenness. But Lord, I claim your victory. I claim your power. I claim your deliverance. Hallelujah, Jesus. Not just a cleanup, Lord, but a fresh start. You can actually impact my DNA, Lord, with the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name.